Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. When I was a kid, my, um, my mum had a saying, I'm sure you will have heard it, but she said a lot, and it was, give me strength. <laughs> it's a prayer, Lord, give me strength. Um, and that's what I'm going to do at the end is ask you to pray that prayer with me. Pray for God to give us strength. Um, and the rest of what I'm going to talk about is really just asking the question, strength for what? So that's where we're headed. Um, the book of Acts starts here. There's, I'm going to just get to verse 11. There's really three little segments, and then I'm going to talk a bit about what we're going to ask for strength for. That's where we're headed. So, the first couple of verses, very big picture introduction. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented to them and gave, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I find this whole, everything today I find fascinating, but this is really interesting. Um, Jesus gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. But we don't know what they were. Um, we were told a few. In the Gospels, we get a couple um, who wants to yell out one of the convincing proofs that we have in the Gospels that Jesus' resurrection was real. Breakfast, yep. Fish, what else? Upper room, yep. Thomas, yeah. Emmaus Road, yep. Anything else? Tomb. Okay, that's four. That's about it. Um, I'd be quite. I'd be happy if there were a lot more, actually. Particularly as someone who spent a bit of time in the apologetics world, it'd be really handy if we had lots more. But we don't. But there were lots more. We just don't know about them. Um, and I think this is a really helpful. It's sort of a side point, but I think it's really important is that um, we are not told everything about what God does in the world. Um, even in the scriptures, we get this sort of main thread, but God's out there doing stuff, um, stuff that we're not a part of. We get little glimpses that more's going on, and this is a glimpse that there was all these cool things happening. What were they? We were there. In fact, we don't see most things. We don't see most of what Jesus is doing in the world and with people. Um, There's a thread running through the Bible. Like, for example, Old Testament, Melchizedek turns up. I don't know if you know about, much about Melchizedek. Well, no one really does. He's a priest of God before there were any priests. But who was he? What did it mean to be a priest of God back then? We're not told. There was stuff going on over there. God had some business with these people. Um, but we weren't there, we weren't a part of it. Um, one of my very favourite passages in the Bible is Acts chapter 18. 
verse 9. It's a bit later on. This is when Paul is in Corinth. And he's having a tough time of it. It's early in his ministry. There's a lot of opposition. Um, and he's not convinced about hanging around. And then in verse 9, um, the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. And then the next bit's the key, because I have many people in this city. Um, tough. Paul is doing it really tough. Things are tiny and difficult. Um, but God's promise is, no, I'm here, and there's all these people out there. You don't know about them, but I'm at work in the lives of many people in this city who are going to come to know me. And what Acts as a whole book is really, it's going to take us through this story of what of God's doing things through his people in the world. But it's just really handy to know at the beginning, um, you don't know everything. We'll come back to that. First step in this process of God doing stuff in the world after the resurrection is the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a new special way. So verse 4, this is the second bit. Um, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Again, we don't know everything. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, so Jesus reminds them, I promise you that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And in the gospel, particularly in John's gospel, Jesus gave some pretty clear promises about what the Holy Spirit was going to do. He was going to comfort them, he was going to lead them, convict them of sin, lead them into truth. Um, we know that the Holy Spirit um, makes us alive. <laughs> We're born again of the Spirit. We're transformed, changed, glorified through the Spirit. There's all these things that the Holy Spirit does. Um, but that is not what Jesus focuses on here. What Jesus focuses on here is the Holy Spirit will give you strength. He will empower you. Now, the apostles were thinking, brilliant, we need some power. They took it really politically. We're interested in political power, thank you very much, because we would like the kingdom restored to Israel. That would be great. Um, but that is not the power Jesus is talking about. He's giving their witness power. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is... Power to be witnesses. Power says to go to power to go to the ends of the earth and to speak the gospel, to stand for Christ. That's what you're going to need strength to do. And the book is the rest of this book is the beginning of that story happening. How Jesus' people, um, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and you see it bit by bit all the way through the story. The Spirit leads here. The Spirit empowers here. The Spirit gives these words, gives this vision. Um, the Spirit is working mission through Acts for the apostles and all believers to be witnesses in 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the power. That's the strength. Um, now, this brings us to the really what I want to wrestle with today. This is a question. Holy Spirit's doing lots of things, but how do we balance which of those roles? How do we prioritize those roles? And the next bit is really interesting, the next bit of the story. So, verse 9. This is such a cool bit, one of my favourite bits in the whole Bible, this next, next story. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid, them from, hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's worth pausing just realising just how sort of astonishing this scene is. They have just watched Jesus ascend into heaven. It's mind-blowing. And they're standing there and they're still stunned. And then... Another stunning thing happens, two angels turn up um, and then you get this question, why are you looking in the sky, into the sky? Um, it's, really, it's a funny, it's hilarious. Hello. <laughs> um, we're just, Jesus went there, we're just sort of gazing up at Jesus and we're blown away by that. Um, but the angels are saying, why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him going to heaven. What they mean by that is Jesus is coming back to judge. Jesus has just given you a job. Go to the ends of the earth. Stop gazing into the sky and get on and do this. He's going to come back. He's going to come back and judge. There's an urgent task that you have. No, I have no idea how long they were gazing. Um, funnily enough, one of the little kids in our church was reading this story like yesterday, I think, and that's what she asked her dad, how long were they gazing for? Um, who knows, maybe it was, I'd like to think it wasn't like 30 seconds, that'd be a bit rough, but they were there and they were gazing and the angels, it's sort of a real irony, they were gazing at Jesus and they were rebuked for it. They look into heaven <laughs> and I told no, stop, get on, I've been just giving you a job, do this job. And I think this is really interesting because we're actually built to gaze at God. Like we're, we're built for intimate, um, beautiful enjoyment of God's presence. That's what, that was the Garden of Eden. We walked with him in the garden. Um, that's our fundamental identity as we are children of God who are built to be in his presence and to enjoy that and to gaze and worship him and praise him forever. That's what we're built for. Um, but there's something more urgent for us to do right now than just stand and gaze. Um, we're built for them and we love them. Like I'm sure the disciples loved it and enjoyed it. We didn't get a second reading today, but um, you guys know your Bibles pretty well. Think about the transfiguration when Jesus goes up on the mountain and he shines in front of his apostles and they come up and they see it. 
There's another funny story, and Peter um, opens his, his mouth, and what does he say? Let's build a tent. Let's build a tent. It's hilarious. But what he, he's saying, let's, we want to camp out here. I want to dwell in this place. I want to stay in this moment. Let's make this last as long as we possibly can. And there's something bright and proper and beautiful about that. Like, it's a, it's a bit silly in a way. Like, let's make a tent. But, um, again, we long for that and we love it. And we love moments when it's like that. And I've had a few moments like that. I remember I was at a missions conference in Canada a long 15, 20 years ago. Um, and there was one of the evening sessions. can't remember what we were doing. There was some sort of some talk. And then afterwards, there was a, we were singing a song. And then this... Um, I can't really quite describe it, but there was this very strong sense of the, the presence of the Spirit descending on the room, and everyone sort of rushed to the front of the room. Um, they were sort of compelled to. Um, and there was just this very powerful time. I don't know how long it went for, half an hour, an hour, where we were just singing and praising. Um, and it was this brilliant moment of joy and encouragement, and we loved it. And it's right to love it, because we're built for that. We're built for... Um, enjoying, praising, intimate presence with God. That's what we're built for. And we're tempted to chase after them too. Um, I don't know whether you've heard, if you're a social media um, person, you will probably um, notice that there's a, a supposed revival happening at a university in America, Asbury University where there was a group of students where something happened similar to what, I ha what happened with us in Canada happened in a university chapel. Um, and that's cool. God does things in places all around the world. You'll know about some of them, you won't know about all of them. That's cool. But what fa was fascinating to me was what happened next, where people started wanting to go there and get involved. Um, more than they wanted to sort of catch it and bring it home. Um, in fact... My brother-in-law, who's at a university, they sent a delegation from Wheaton University to go to, to Asbury University to try and work out what was going on. And I'm just thinking, I'm not sure about that. God's doing a really cool thing in places. Um, but I don't think we should be chasing those sort of experiences. Ironically, too, there's a revival happening in Saudi Arabia at the moment. I don't notice very many people trying to chase that revival and get involved in that one because that's not quite the experience we're after, right? We want to buzz. I don't really want... Um, I don't want risk involved, thank you very much. Um, um, but at the same time, there's a right longing. There's a right longing for that intimate presence with God. Um, but again, we've got to get our priorities straight and mainly our timing. We've got to get our timing right. Let me give you an illustration which I think will help us understand how this works. My dad grew up as a kid in World War II. His mother actually died when he was um, two or three, giving birth to his sister. And uh, so he didn't have a mum. His dad was in the army. He didn't see his dad pretty much at all for six, the six years of the war. Um, he lived in a really tiny little village called Taralga, if anyone knows that. And he had to stop school at 12 to be the town postman because it was wartime and they needed a postman. Now, he's a kid, he's built for family. If 
built for a dad. It's built to go to school, built to grow up, and built to be a kid. But um, it was wartime. There was a, there was more going on. There was a bigger context. Um, everything that happened happened sort of under this shadow of the war effort. Um, now you still did ordinary life. People they needed farmers, needed to farm, and people grew up and they got married and they did things. But there was a the most pressing, the most urgent thing was that there's a war on. Um, I think this is the way we need to think about this age. This is a spirit, it's spiritual war time. We still get, we grow up, we get married, and yeah, we're built for intimate relationships and with God. But the most urgent thing, even if it's not the most fundamental thing, the most urgent thing in this age is getting out into the world and being witnesses. That's the most pressing power that we need from God. That's what we need to chase. That's what we need to pray for. Lord, give us that sort of strength, empower us for that. To stand for you, to witness for you. Now, one of the cool things about this church is that there's a heap of people who already do that. Um, we've got a lot of people involved. We have, like, real professional missionaries, actually, but um, so many people here who are standing for Jesus in many places who aren't just gazing up <laughs> but are gazing outwards. And I think that's the real thing. I, I want us to ask the question, what are we gazing at? If the angels turned up to us, what are they going to say? <laughs> what are you looking at? Um, and I see people gazing out all the time. Um, I remember being in this room a couple of months ago where we lined up all the people who were um, involved in schools. Um, there are so many places where we have presence um, and where we can witness. And like Paul in Corinth, it's gonna, I think mean, it's going to get tougher and tougher. Um, in schools, it's certainly um, getting tougher and tougher. But we just need to pray, God, give us strength. Give us strength to stand for you. Um, so I'd like you to pray that with me. Pray that God will give you the strength to be a public Christian and urgently a public Christian who stands for him and speaks for him and speaks of him, speaks of Christ. Um, so let's pray. Let's pray that God would um, pour out his spirit on us and empower us for that, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has shown through many proofs that he is the resurrected Lord, um, that through his death and resurrection on the cross, um, that he has secured a kingdom. And it's an eternal kingdom, not a political kingdom. And we thank you that in that kingdom, Lord, that we um, can gaze upon you and enjoy you and rejoice in you and praise you forever. But in the meantime, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and give us strength to be witnesses for you, witnesses to the end of the earth, witnesses here and beyond. Please, Lord, give us strength, the strength that we'll need. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'll turn it on. Um, Richard has, uh, has kindly offered to be around if anybody has any comments, any questions, uh, any reflections, any thoughts. We've got a couple of minutes anyway. So feel free to make them and um, we'll pass this around and um, that way most of us will hear what the question is as well as the response. Or might not be a question, might be an observation. Uh, don't feel you got to, but if you want to say something, give us a wave, I'll charge around with the microphone. Hi, welcome. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I think we heard. That was a thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just want you to explain the link from the disciples to us jump. Um, and was there a particular urgency then and role for them then? I'm not denying it's for us as well, but just wanting to hear your connecting oh, uh, the dots. Sorry, in the sense of that we are empowered for the, in the same way as the um, apostles? Yeah, it, I'd need to and, and the instruction given to them and the urgency, like yeah. just how that context flows over to us. Yeah, right. So that's a great question and it's one that lots of people who do missiology try and work out why can't we... Oh, yeah, sorry. So the question is, um, the gist of the question is, the, the apostle, this sort of apostles, why are, you, why are you wasting time gazing you need to get out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Is that for everyone or is that particularly the urgency? Is that particularly for them? Um, and well, are we right? Like, I don't think you can see a, a direct, there's no way where the Bible sort of lays, lays out the link in a really explicit, where it just says, hey, everyone, everything I said to the apostles about com commissioning, that's to you too. But I think the theologic of it, um, we're empowered by the same spirit. Um, we're, we're the ends of the earth. Uh, you see a little more clearly in Matthew where it talks about until um, the end of the age. So that's not them. So I think you'd sort of build a picture of all the commissionings um, and even the way that Paul talks to all the churches about the partnership in the gospel, that it's... The, the, the urgency is the same, Jesus is still coming back. That's, again, just a sort of a brute reality. Um, so that provides a, an urgency. Um, but, yeah, I think the ends of the earth... got to remember, these guys didn't know much about the ends of the earth. They might have known about China. They knew nothing about South America. Or, um, so, yeah, the ends of the earth, they weren't going to pull that off. That's the beginning of an answer. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Probably time for one more if anybody wants to give us a wave or else we'll... It's... Oh, well, I saw Bob first. We might squeeze two in if, if you... No, if you guys can be brief, I'm sure that's not a problem. <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> Pressure. Um, a couple of uh, years ago, Bill Hebels uh, recommended that I read a book called The Insanity of God. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it touches on quite a lot of what you've talked about just now. Mm -hmm. That's a great book. Yeah. But one of the things that it says um, is that don't pray for us to be delivered from persecution. Um, the thing that you've got to recognise is 
that you are the people who, who need our prayers um, and maybe you should be asking for some persecution because that's going to be much more productive in terms of the gospel. Um, and it's interesting that um, they, they reckon that there are three networks of house churches and these house churches move location where they meet and they communicate to one another, we're going to meet at location 27 at time 54 <laughs> um, and there's no more than 30 in a group. When they get to 15, they start thinking about breaking up um, and they're basically saying, we don't want to be delivered. They want to know what's wrong if they're not being persecuted. And it seems to me that we've got to take a much more open view rather than trying to be defensive and say, Lord, deliver me from that terrible thing. But to recognise that part of the price of what you've been putting to us tonight is in fact... Yeah, it's costly. There's a cost to living in, in wartime. Can I offer one little illustration of the tensioning priorities? <laughs> might be controversial. Um, another conference I got given this Bible... This is a Christian standard Bible. I didn't know that was even a thing until I turned up and they gave everyone a free one. And because it's like soft leather and I've never had a soft leather one, I thought, that's really nice. Um, it was a conference full of pastors and it was a... Let's be honest, it was an advertising thing. Um, but here's the thing. Why on earth did we need a Christian standard Bible? How many English translations do we need? And we keep making new ones. We want to... Again, it's great to gaze at Jesus and it's great to read the Word of God, but there are still thousands of people who don't have their own and we are putting millions of dollars into creating more English ones so we can gaze it just a little bit better. Um, again, I just think we need to be really careful about good to love the Word of God, good to want to get it as right as we can, um, but there's a more urgent priority, I think, than a new Bible. That's and the sort of thinking. One more. Just George? Sure. I think I can beat Bob Johnson, I'll be shorter. Um, <laughs> uh, I was, was interested in, I've been reading about the uh, Christian University in the last few weeks um, and your experience yeah, right. 10 or 15 years ago in Canada. Um, my reading of the history of revivals, and they were like many revivals, I guess, um, accepting the fact that it's the Lord's business uh, yeah. in terms of initiating such a thing, a lot, of, a lot of what I've read has to do with what's our part as if there are sort of conditions that apply before God chooses to act. A couple have come to mind, such as there's a heck of a lot of praying going on. It nearly dominates the fellowship. And a part of that is a confession of sin, one-on-one uh, -on -one and one-on groups. I'm just wondering if you've got any comment to make about that conditions issue that um, is in my mind at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, I might have thought a bit about it. I, I'm very cautious to say that um, no, I won't say. What I'll say is everywhere where I see, um, and this is like a long-term missions observation um, stuff I've seen in the field, but also just missions history, is that. Um, most of the places where really amazing things happen in terms of revival, the church is just running to catch up. It's not because, even because they were necessarily praying brilliantly or doing anything. And I just, so go back again. God, Jesus does amazing, cool things everywhere. And um, this, again, there's something lovely about longing for revival. But 
probably should be clear too. I'm not strictly talking about whether revivals are good or bad tonight. My, my point is, do we want to chase after the buzz? I think that's a wrong dynamic. Um, it's certainly a right dynamic to pray that God would bring life to your community and this church and, the, and, and that where people would repent and be transformed and, and become Christian as well. Like, that's a right prayer and we should be praying that. And yeah, God will answer that prayer sometimes. I don't, who knows what the conditions are that he would answer under. Um, but it's not something you can catch or go and borrow and steal from somewhere else. Um, and I think, again, the chase for the experience is missing the point. But, yeah, we can chat more. Thanks, Richard. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Well, I might pray and we might finish other than our final song now and then once we sing together, then... People are invited to stay and chat or head off as needed. But would you join me if we pray just to finish tonight, please? And Father, I don't know if there are others that like me, but I feel I need to um, pray that you would change me and pray for forgiveness because so often when I ask for your intervention or ask for your power, it's for a whole range of reasons that aren't involved in seeking to be a witness for you. So... I pray that for myself and indeed for all of us, we'd place a higher priority and higher premium on wanting to be a witness for you. And as we've just been discussing, we pray, Lord, that we would um, be praying more and indeed that we would see more people come to call you Lord in this part of the world, that we'd... uh, be more keen to see your purposes and your priorities play out in this part of the world and not just in this part of the world but we would be prayerfully involved in uh, seeking for your kingdom to expand lord thanks for tonight thanks for the opportunity to meet together lord and we do so in the wonderful name of jesus and we pray for your care and your provision and protection for us all at least until next week lord amen and Time for one more song. Please stand.